thank you for your word. We thank you that it is good and true and lovely. And Father, tonight we pray that you would give us understanding as we think about it. We pray that you would give, give us wisdom as we apply it to our own lives. But above all, we pray that we would go out of here rejoicing because you have given us great hope. And it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen. Well, I wonder if you've ever experienced a moment of hopelessness. Have you ever experienced a moment of hopelessness? In my second year at Queen's University, I can say that I experienced a moment of hopelessness. It was 10 p.m. on a Tuesday night, and the next morning at 9.15, I had a land law exam. Awful, boring, boring stuff. 10 weeks of dry work, boring work was going to be examined in only 11 hours time. And by 10 p.m. on that Tuesday night, I had covered two weeks of the work. 11 p.m. came and I started to panic because I knew that I wasn't going to cover all the material for the next morning. It was a hopeless situation. Ten hours to go, eight weeks of work to cover. I was feeling hopeless. And I started to think, is there any point in me actually beginning any of this work? I was hopeless. And all I could do was walk into Tom Freeburn's room, who was my flatmate at the time, look him in the face and say, Tom, I want to drop out. I want to drop out. I need to drop out because the pressure is just too much. I know I'm going to fail. Would it not just be easy for me to drop out now and all the pressure would go away? That would have been much easier for me, wouldn't it have been? Well, in this book, First Peter, that CE are going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks, the Apostle Peter is writing to provide Christians, like Christians here in this room, with hope. The book is all about hope. Because you see, some of these Christians were actually considering giving up on their faith. They were experiencing all types of persecution. They were being publicly criticized for following Jesus. They were being slander, slandered. They were experiencing grief. They were fearful. They were bewildered. And they were anxious about their future. And they started to think, wouldn't it just be easier if we got rid of Jesus? If we stopped following him, surely all our problems would go away. I wonder if you've ever thought about it like that. Maybe you think that giving up on Jesus would improve things in your life. You might be sitting here tonight, and you might be going through some real suffering. Maybe you're the only Christian in your class, and your classmates, well, they think you're strange for loving the Lord Jesus. Or maybe your own family, maybe your brothers, your sisters, maybe even your own parents think it's strange that you follow Jesus. Maybe they uh, mock you for coming to CE, for reading your Bible at home. Those are real-life situations, and some of you guys, I don't have any doubt, struggle with these things. What does this passage have to say to us tonight? 
Well, this evening, Peter tells you not to give up on the Lord Jesus because God has done something in your past that gives you hope for the future and that impacts you in the present. God has done something in the past that gives you hope for the future and it greatly impacts your present. And this is why in verse 3, Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what has God done? Well, Peter goes on to tell us, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Isn't that a wonderful verse? And it's packed with so much truth. But let me summarize it. Christian, Christian, God has provided you with a living hope. Salvation for all of eternity. Hope that is real and authentic and alive. Hope that doesn't fail. But Peter is so much more to say about hope. And we're going to think about a few of these things tonight. So let's dive into the passage together. Maybe if you want to put the passage up on the screen, and we'll have a think about it. So here's the first thing we see. God has provided you with hope for the future. Look at verse 3. Peter says that God in his mercy has provided you with hope, which means that at one point you were hopeless, doesn't it? Here's a question for you, and I want you to answer this honestly. Answer it in your own mind. How wicked do you think you really are? Now, some of you might answer that question confidently, and you might say, well, I'm actually not that wicked compared to people like Vladimir Putin, who are invading Ukraine and are causing all sorts of havoc and suffering in the world. But the Bible actually tells us the truth. And the Bible tells us that, that you are actually wicked. You're actually wicked because you have broken God's law. You have broken the, the law of the creator of the universe, the king. You have broken his law. You're guilty. You might not think that way, but it's true. Everyone in this room has sinned against God. Just cast your mind back over this week. Just think about how you treated other people made in God's image this week. Or what did you watch online when nobody else could see you? Or what have you thought about? You see, God is holy. He's perfect. And you know what the result is when we break his law? We deserve death. Every one of you deserve death. Not just some of you. All of you. And your future is hopeless. It's absolutely hopeless. In fact, you could be described as a walking corpse. That's how hopeless you are. You have no hope. And all you can expect is death. That's bad news. But, but, there's some good news. I want you to imagine that you are a prisoner in a Japanese prisoner of war camp during the Second World War. I don't know if you like war movies 
or your interest in history. But I want you to imagine you're a Japanese prisoner of war camp. Now you are living in horrid conditions and you've been living in these conditions for months. And any day you could die. You could be taken out, you could be stood up against the wall and you could die. That's a, a real possibility. But you, along with a few other soldiers, have managed to bribe one of the guards. And you've managed to get a radio from him, a little radio. And you tune the radio, after a lot of uh, hardship, to the right frequency. And you're all gathered around, and it crackles, and it pops, and it goes dead, and then you tune it again. It's hard work. And then all of a sudden, you hear a news report in English. An English news report out of Britain. And the radio crackles, and then it cuts out. But the sound comes back on again. And you hear the broadcaster saying, the Allies are pushing the Germans back through Europe. Wow. That is good news, isn't it? That is really good news. You could die any day, but the Allies are coming. You can breathe a sigh of relief. But you're in Japan, which is quite far from Europe. I don't know if you've ever looked at a map, but they're not next door to each other. What's going to happen? Are they going to reach you? And the broadcaster goes on to say, the Allies are closing in on Japan. Oh, you can breathe another sigh of relief. They're coming for us. They're coming for us. We're going to be saved. That's really good news for those prisoners, isn't it? Facing death. But do you want to know even better news? Even greater news. God makes us alive when we were dead. Not just when we face the prospect of death. When we actually were dead. He gives us hope in our hopelessness. Real living hope. Look what Peter says again in verse 3. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You deserve death, not hope. And yet God causes you, believer, to be born again. Born again, that's a pretty unusual phrase, isn't it? It's not really language you use every day. But it simply means this. God has made you alive when you were dead. Not physically. You have a birth certificate at home and it tells you you've only been born once. Not physically, but spiritually. It means that he has given you spiritual life. You haven't worked for it. You haven't earned it. He has given it to you. I wonder if anybody's played the game Secret Hitler. Anybody played that game? Hands up. Some of you, I know I'm talking a lot tonight about Hitler and Putin and all these guys, but I love the game Secret Hitler. It's an absolutely brilliant game. And the aim of the game is to figure out who the Secret Hitler is. And in doing so, you have to kill off all his fascist friends, all the guys who try in the game to put him back into power. Now in our house... Um, when you die, you're not allowed to speak. That's a rule of the game, and it's really a rule that is enforced in our house. 
You're not allowed to speak. What you know, you have to keep quiet. When you're dead, you're dead. Because really, dead men can't speak, can they? They can't eat, they can't walk about, they can't do anything for themselves. When you're dead, you're dead. You know, you were dead, and you were hopeless, and you couldn't make yourself alive, and you had no hope whatsoever, and yet God has given you hope. God has done that. You can't, but God has. That is amazing news, isn't it? You were hopeless, and yet God has given you life. That is amazing news. I wonder if you feel the weight of that as you sit here tonight. If you're a believer, then at one stage in your, in your life, you were hopeless. You deserved death. You actually deserved and were headed for destruction, separation from God forever. Can't get life by yourself, dead. And yet God the creator of the world, the one who we have sinned against, the one who we belittle and dishonor and put in a little, a little box and put him up on the shelf, that God who we, we sin against, he has done something in your life to give you life. That is amazing news. But what's the reason for our hope? How has he made us alive? That's the obvious question. This Thursday, Arsenal plays Spurs. And if they win, they will probably get Champions League football next season. Not like that mid-table club United who are, who are struggling and who unfortunately lost 4-0 today. Arsenal are heading for bigger and brighter and better things. Champions League football. Now, with the way Arsenal have been playing lately, I don't have any reason to think that Arsenal are going to beat Spurs. Because after all, Spurs have Harry Kane. And Harry Kane loves a goal or two. So I don't have any reason to believe that Arsenal are going to be playing Champions League football next year. I hope they win, but I don't really know. In this passage, Peter gives us a solid, strong reason for our hope. He gives us a solid, strong reason for our hope. Look at verse 3 again. We have been given life, spiritual life, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus is the foundation of our hope. He's the hero. He is the hero. He's the one who brings us from spiritual death to spiritual life, from hopelessness to hope. I wonder if you have ever realized how it was that you were actually saved. When we come before God and repent of all our sins, God works a miracle in our life. An absolute miracle. You know what that miracle is? He unites us to the Lord Jesus. He unites us to the Lord Jesus. Jesus died and paid the death penalty that you and I deserve for our sins, but because you are united to him, your debt is paid, and you don't have to die. That is amazing news. What an amazing thought. 
And this has puzzled a lot of many wise Christians. So, so stay with me on this just for another minute. God also raised Jesus from the dead. You might think that's a load of rubbish. But we can actually be sure that he did. Because the guy who writes this letter, the Apostle Peter, was one of Jesus' disciples. And he actually saw Jesus and spoke with him. They had a conversation while eating fish on a beach. He saw him. And he can testify that he's really risen. And when God raised Jesus from the dead, he brought him to be with him in heaven. And Jesus sits at God's right hand. And because God has united you to Jesus, you can be sure that he will also, when you die, bring you to be with him. Jesus' death is your death. You want to face the penalty. Jesus' life is your life. You have future hope. You don't experience death, but you will experience life with God. Isn't that worth rejoicing in this evening? I think it is, and I hope you do too. That is the best news in all the world. But take a breather. Take a breather there for a moment, because we've covered a lot of big things. What do we have to look forward to in the future? What is it that actually makes this hope really good? Yeah, we've been saved from death and we're going to get life. We're going to live forever with God. But all this talk about life and hope, hope for what? Oh, Andrew, why should I actually get excited about this? Well, Peter answers that question for us in verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Our hope should excite us because we have been given an inheritance. Before someone dies, they, they usually write a will that gives details about how their money and their possessions and all their assets are to be divided up between their family. And they leave something for people to inherit. And because you are united to Jesus, we are heirs of this inheritance. Wow. We are heirs of eternal life that is free from sin, that is free from sickness, that is free from starvation and misery and moaning and death and disease and depression. And we can't even begin to think about this. We can't even begin to imagine this. Paul an apostle just like Peter says, No eye has ever seen, nor ear heard, nor heart imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Your inheritance is one of absolute, perfect, complete joy with your Savior, your risen Savior, the Lord Jesus, in heaven forever. Don't give up on following Jesus. Jesus has given you, through his resurrection, a wonderful, joyful inheritance. Isn't that news worth rejoicing in this evening, if you're a Christian? Isn't that news worth rejoicing in?
It's really nice to be included in an inheritance, isn't it? It's nice to be thought of and to be left something. Imagine getting a car that you didn't have to pay for, but you can drive wherever and whenever you want. Imagine getting a sum of money that you didn't have to get up at 7 a.m. to leave the house and go work for. Here's a good one. Imagine getting a, a house that you didn't actually need to apply for a mortgage on. That would be really nice, wouldn't it? All these things, great things. But sorry to burst your bubble. None of these things last. They all fail, don't they? As you drive that car around, with every mile, the value goes down. The banknotes fade, and the coins, those old round pound coins, they expire. And there's always the risk that someone breaks into the house and gets everything. But eternal life is imperishable, it's undefiled, and it's unfading. It won't decay, it won't be ruined. It won't become any less precious as the years go on before we get there. It won't become any less lovely. It won't uh, be reduced in value like all the treasures of this world. That is what we can look forward to. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That's all well and good, isn't it? It's all well and good, but it isn't much good if you never receive it. It's all well and good being precious and valuable, but if you never get there, it's no use to you. wonder if any of you have done your work experience yet. Um, when I was at Portland College, I did my work experience in a solicitor's office in town. And uh, they specialized in wills and inheritance, really exciting stuff. But they would help you draft up your will, and they would make sure that you ticked all, ticked all the legal boxes and that nothing was wayward and you kept to the law. But the thing is that family members often came into the office complaining that the solicitor had made a mistake in the will. Because the person had died, the will had been read out, and the family member hadn't actually received what was promised. But the thing was, the solicitors had gone over it with a fine comb, and there wasn't any mistakes. The person leaving the inheritance had actually promised the family something, and they'd broken the promise they'd actually never received what they were promised. John Grisham, he's an American writer. He wrote a book called The Testament, and The Testament is a book about an old, wealthy, billionaire businessman called Troy Phelan. And Troy Phelan has worked all his life, and he's built an inheritance of $11 billion. But Troy is dead. And on the first page of the book, his family gather in his New York penthouse, all waiting to hear the will being read, all expectant to receive the share that they had been promised. And the scene is really tense. His numerous 
ex-wives, his children, his grandchildren, and even one or two great-grandchildren have gathered. They're anxious, and the tension only increases when the will is read and the family hears that all $11 billion is not going to any single one of them. It's being left to a daughter that nobody has ever heard of. She gets everything, and they get nothing. Inheritance can be a really messy ordeal. How can you be sure that you'll actually receive this? Do you have any confidence? Do you have any reason to rejoice tonight? Well, I think verses verses 5 are some of the most comforting words in the whole of this letter. This is what it says about our inheritance. It's kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God is keeping us, our inheritance, safe for us. Troy, he made promises and he broke them. But God is faithful. He promises an inheritance and he is keeping it for us. It's safe because it's in heaven. Jesus talked about this, didn't he? In Matthew 6. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Our inheritance is safe because it is out of reach of all those who want to take it from us. It is being kept for us. But God is also keeping you, if you're a Christian, for your inheritance. One of my favorite hymns is Christ Will Hold Me Fast because it's true. God does hold his children fast. He keeps hold of us. He's the one who has given us new life. He is the one who has united you to Jesus. He is the one who has given you faith in Jesus. He is the one who increases your faith when you're weary. And when we are faithful to God in obeying him and walking with him, he is faithful to us. And by his power, He guards us. That must have been a great encouragement to those Christians who wanted to give up on following Jesus. And what a a great reason that is for us to rejoice. So we've been given hope, hope for the future, because God in the past has united us to the Lord Jesus. He has been raised from the dead, and one day we will go to be with him. But what about today? How can we respond? Well, in verse 6 to 9, Peter tells us exactly how we should respond. Look at verse 6. In this, you rejoice. In this, you rejoice. If you're a Christian sitting in Edenderry tonight, you have a great reason to be joyful. A far better reason than the results of the sport today. A far greater reason than anything else. You can rejoice because one day you will experience perfect joy. That's a certainty. 
But what about in our suffering? Surely Peter can't be telling us to be joyful when we face hardships. Is that what he's saying? Absolutely. Look at verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you are being grieved by various trials. You might be thinking, Andrew, I'm happy to have future hope. I'm really happy. I really am. But if only you knew the trials and the suffering in my life, the things that I was going through day by day, then you'd know that I don't have much reason to be joyful. Life is tough, isn't it? Life is really tough. And there is so much suffering in our world. Just earlier in the week, I was scrolling through the BBC News app and there were three headlines. The top three headlines that stood out to me were these. COVID-19 pandemic death toll is 15 million. Warnings of economic downturn as interest rates rise. Ukrainian villages haunted by the missing. Life is full of suffering. And as a Christian, listen to this, you aren't immune from suffering. Last week at CA, Scott so honestly shared about some of the hardships that he and his wife Ruth have faced over these last couple of years as they're with, with their absolute hero of a son, Elijah, who was born deaf. Guys, don't think that being a Christian guarantees you a life of ease. Later in this letter, in a couple of weeks, Paul is, or Peter is actually going to tell these Christians, don't be surprised when suffering comes your way. Don't be surprised. Expect it. If you're a Christian, at some point or another, you will face your own unique opportunity to suffer. Christ suffered for us. And if we are his disciples, we too, in following him, can expect suffering. Life is tough and full of suffering. Why can we rejoice when everything seems to be sinking all around us? Well, Peter gives us some reasons. First, in verse 6, our suffering isn't forever. But life with our Savior, hope is forever. Suffering only lasts, look at verse 6, for a little while. And I know that is hard to believe when you suffer day in and day out. Or when someone you love suffers day in and day out. But suffering is only temporary. You can believe that because God's word says it. It's only for a little while. And then there is no suffering with God. Only joy. Only perfect joy. No mourning, no funerals, no hospitals, no cancer diagnosis. But he will wipe every tears from our eyes. Are you looking forward to that day? You have great reason to rejoice. It's only for a little while. But you can also rejoice because your faith is being strengthened 
through suffering. Peter puts it this way, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God uses suffering to prove to you that your faith is genuine and to strengthen it. What a relief for those suffering Christians. Our suffering isn't meaningless. It's strengthening us. It doesn't feel that way. <laughs> Who enjoys suffering? I don't. I'm sure you don't. But Peter uses a really good example of gold to show us how this happens. Gold is a precious metal. But the thing with gold is it's mixed with impurities. And if these aren't separated, then its value decreases. And nobody wants to wear a gold Rolex mixed with grime and dirt. So the gold is heated up to a, a, a scary, scarily high temperature and all the, the impurities begin to melt and they float to the top and the goldsmith scoops it away and what is left is pure, genuine gold. And God values you is child, far more than gold. And he allows you to go through fire, serious suffering, to give you confidence that your faith is genuine and that you really do have hope for the future. I'm a Christian. But I was born with a condition that makes me smaller than all of you guys. And it is tough. It is really tough. Because it has brought real challenges and anxieties and moments of suffering over these last 23 years. Because people are hurtful and they're rude. And life is tough, isn't it? And in those moments of deep hurt, it would be really easy for me to sin. It would be really, it'd be really easy in all my frustration to be angry with God, my Savior. And I could easily take my eyes off the Lord Jesus. And I could look to myself. But I can rejoice because my suffering is an opportunity for me to run to the Lord and to receive grace and comfort and strength and to be made more like the Lord Jesus. And your suffering is a gift from God, an opportunity for you to be refined, to become more like the Lord Jesus. And when we do turn to Jesus, when we fall on him, our faith is proven to be genuine. And you know what the amazing thing is? Ultimately, your suffering results in the Lord Jesus getting praise. Because all those, all of you whose faith is really genuine will one day stand before him in perfect joy 
and give him the praise and the glory and the honor that he deserves. That gives me great confidence this evening. And I hope it gives you confidence too. Your suffering isn't in vain. It strengthens you and it gets praise for the risen Lord Jesus. That's why you can rejoice. As we finish, let me challenge you. If you're a Christian, then you should be rejoicing. The king of the universe has given you hope for the future and reason to be joyful today. What a God. What a God. You were hopeless and he's given you hope. He's given you an imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance. It's kept for you, that's guarded for you. Don't give up on following Jesus. When the going gets tough and it would be easier to give in, don't give up on following Jesus. Rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice with your friends. You know, so often we talk about so much stuff. Sport and social media and family and grades. All good things, but will, that they will all pass away. You have a hope that lasts forever. Would people in your life realize that? Rejoice. Talk to one another about it. Encourage one another with it. We have hope in your suffering. Encourage your friends. Rejoice. This salvation, it's an absolute privilege. And when we realize that, all we can do is rejoice. But also do this. Do what Peter does in verse 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for giving you hope now and in the future through the Lord Jesus. Take some time this week, maybe on your own or maybe with friends, and thank God for the hope that is yours. Thank him for the living and lasting hope that he has provided for you. And ask him to help you rejoice, even when the going gets tough, so that ultimately others would rejoice in him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that even when we were dead, you have made us alive. Even when we were hopeless, you have given us hope. Father, we thank you that even in our sufferings, we can rejoice. Father, we thank you that even when the going gets tough, we know that Jesus has been raised in the dead and one day we will go to experience perfect joy with him forever. Father, I pray for each of the guys in this room. Father, we thank, Father, I thank you for saving so many of them. Father, I pray that you would assure them of this hope and would they speak about this, the hope that they have, so that others would come to know you and to know hope and life and peace and joy so that ultimately Jesus would get praise. Father, we thank you for this evening and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh,